0: Everybody and a warm welcome to our first Motorsport Magazine podcast of 2015. And I must say, it is a real honor and a privilege to have back on our podcast Dario Franchitti. What better way to start the year? Dario, hi, thanks for coming in.
1: Ah, thanks for having me. I was just around the corner, so I thought I'd come around and have a cup of tea.
0: Yeah, good. Well, carry on. Um, anyway, thank you everybody for joining us. And uh, we've got a fantastic lineup this year. I'll tell you a bit more about that. Uh, at the end. But uh, with me today, of course, is our uh, editor-in-chief, Nigel Roebuck, Uh, our roving man. Can I call you our roving man? Yes, I can. It's Simon Aaron, our editor himself. (laughs) Looks very chippy today, I must say, our editor. Damian Smith. And uh, we have, I don't know how many questions we have from you, our listeners, but there are a lot of them. And I'm going to start with one, From Alan McNish. Uh, Start start at the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) Start at the bottom and work upwards, yeah. Okay. We'll come to Formula E in a minute, by the way. Um, Mr McNish seems rather concerned. Uh, He wants to know uh, where his $10 are, Dario.
1: That's funny. I've got the same question to him. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we've been arguing about this now for the best part of 10 years. Uh, in 2005 we were racing at um, at Daytona, in 2005 I think it was Marino, myself, I think it was Dan, no it was Dan in 2005. Kevin McGarity joined us in 2006, it was Dan Weldon and Milka Duno. Obviously Milka brought the Citgo sponsorship and so we, uh, we had a plug lead come off and qualifying. So McNish was there, I don't know what McNish was doing there, he certainly wasn't working. But he said um, something like, right son you've qualified last. Um, How many cars do you think you can pass? And I said, no, I don't know, six or seven or something. He said, right, if you can make it ten, I'll give you ten dollars. Right, If you can't, don't make it ten, you owe me ten, right? Okay, fine, good. So we come up to the start, um, on the inside, at the back of the prototype grid. They've waved a green flag. They've said green, green, green in my ear, whatever. I've pulled out onto the apron. I've gone belting past a load of cars, barged my way through the first corner. End of the first lap, I think I'd passed 12 or something cars. I thought, yes! McNish's money is in my pocket. And just for everybody listening, $10 of McNish's money is at least a million (laughs) of anybody else's because he is so tight. Um, Anyway, (laughs) I got a drive-through penalty for jumping the start, crossing... (laughs) Going into the apron, um, pulling out of line before the start-finish line and a bunch of other stuff. And so I got a, a drive-through penalty, McNish used that as a technicality and not to pay me my $10. But I never paid him his $10 either. And in fact, we think Julian Jacoby might have the money still. He might have been the, the d- depository of the money and he was supposed to pay out and because we can't agree on it Julian's still got it
0: <laughs> Hey Derry it could be worse he could be asking for the interest
1: Nah yeah, exactly he's not getting that trust me he's not even getting the bloody money I just wanted to
0: we just wanted to get that one cleared up anyway so uh, if you're listening Alan which you probably are because you're not very busy these days uh, <laughs>
1: We're all laughing here because he's the busiest man in the world <laughs> Is he? Yeah? Okay. Oh god
0: <laughs> Okay you are busy anyway you're not going to get your money okay <laughs> Um we must start, Dario, with Formula E because um, you are the commentator and um, we're all wondering what do you really think of all this?
1: I am... Not, uh, Jack's the commentator. Jack's the... Uh, uh. he's the I'm the... I'm the ex- parent expert. Oh, okay. I'm the sort of the colour guy and Jack does all the really hard work and I just occasionally put in a comment somewhere okay. um, and try and i some somewhat intelligent. Um, it is... The way I looked at it, it's the first season. It's very much they're they're in the proving process. They're trying to get the the infrastructure in order, get the races on the calendar, um, sort out the technology, and just get a a foundation going. And then next year, they're going to start opening up the the power units, the manufacturers will probably start getting involved, Mm -hmm. and then it it can grow. Um, Great racing. It's been absolutely great racing. close racing. Very close racing. interesting cars to drive i think they slide around quite a lot with no downforce and and, and mm-hmm. you know the, the multi-purpose tire no i no. haven't i was supposed to drive on in a couple of weeks but it, it all got messed up with it with the with the timing but you see them slide through the fast corners and it looks it looks quite interesting the cars need to be quicker there's yeah. no doubt and the cars will get quicker in the future yeah. um it's a difficult one for me being a uh, you know i love the the sound of a, of mm. a v twelve mm. or you know an h sixteen mm. or you name it mm. v eight flat mm. six, and so it's a bit difficult for me to sort of mm. to get my head around the fact the cars have this noise that they make, but the way I look at it um at some point the oil's gonna run out, yeah. And we better start developing the technology as early as possible. And if we develop that technology to such a point, hopefully it'll allow us to play with our V12s and H16s and stuff for a longer period. And um, Mm. it's not, in my opinion, it's not replacing F1. It's not replacing IndyCar. Um, It's a completely separate branch. And it was a brave step by the people to to go ahead with it. But I will say uh, Alejandro and the guys that are running the series, I'm I'm impressed with them. I thought they've done uh, so far a really <laughs> strong job.
2: The, the thing that impresses me is that uh, every city they go to, they're starting from scratch, having to build a circuit every time, which must be a huge expense for, st- for starters. But, I mean, th- obviously, it's some circuits are better than others, naturally, with that kind of
1: scenario. But uh, Buenos Aires looked pretty good. Buenos Aires was good. I'd never been to Argentina. Mm. Um, and I'd just been reading um, my Mike Hawthorne book when I went down there. And he was talking about going down there and all the crazy <laughs> stuff that happened and cars going in crowds. And I got there. And wasn't prepared for the, the passion of the mm. fans for any type of racing. They're crying out for it. They, you know, they all the, the crowd showed up massive numbers there. And I was thinking, God, IndyCar, F One, they need to yeah. get back here. They, they need it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, there's talk, isn't there, of, a, of a Formula One going back to Buenos Aires? There's talk
3: of Formula One going to pretty much every city in every country well, in the world. Yeah,
4: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you're right. I mean, it would be certainly something IndyCar should look at. Yeah, exactly, when really. I get back to I mean, Brazil, you know, so why not? Yeah,
1: when I get back there, that's the first thing I'm going to say to Derek Walker, because it is, yeah. what, a, what a wonderful country, mm. and um, yeah. what a passion yeah. for racing, it yeah. yeah. really struck me.
3: I mean, I, I was supposed to be at the Argentine one, I had to cry off for various reasons at the last moment, but I watched it on TV, I mean, I know the racing was very good, as has been said, but you could actually, obviously with the silence of the cars, you could actually hear the crowd. And the, you know, just and it was a very lively race, lots of incident. But every time something happened, just to hear the cheers and, the, and it was just fantastic. I mean, it, it was a brilliant atmosphere. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, that that was that was clear. And the camera shots, the guys did a great job at showing them sliding. There was one on the
3: wall when just uh, I think the penultimate corner, maybe a mm-hmm. quick quick right hander, and it looked sensational. Yeah,
1: it was a great shot, wasn't it? You could see yeah. them sliding, and then the exit wall was the apex of the next corner. It was right at the same <laughs> point. It was a wonderful set of corners.
0: Are you sure you're not going to be d- racing one next year? <laughs> Trust me, I'm not allowed. I would, <laughs> okay.
1: I, I'm definitely getting the itch to get back in something, and I'm just not allowed. It's just yeah. not an option. But I do. the further I'm getting away from that accident, yeah. the more I'm getting an itch to, <laughs> to drive something.
4: Where, where do they draw the line? I, mean, I know you're allowed to demonstrate cars, aren't you? I yeah, mean, how, no. how fast are you allowed to demonstrate
1: them? a Good question. No, I just <laughs> well, I just wondered if it had been defined or nothing you know. competitive. No. As long as it's not competitive, I think I'm okay. For instance, if I drive up the hill at Goodwood, the clocks can't be on, hmm. um, I, but I can't race or, or do anything. That's th- th- very clear. Um, I mean, I can go over to Germany and drive on the Autobahn at hmm. whatever speed That's I want. So, you know, there's it's not, I don't think it's about speed, it's about the competitive element.
0: <laughs> well you've 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 won at the Goodwood Revival, so that's your career topped out anyway, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't get better than that. That does. was a high point. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: was actually there was a low point the following year with the yeah. accident with with four W P D. which was actually one of the concussions that when they were sort of doing the, 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 the totting up process, they said, Oh, well, there was a big one there. Mm. And that was that was um disappointing. I just read a book on it actually on the car. Um on four W P D and it talked about the accident. I wish the guy had actually Talked to me about the accident I could have told him some of the stuff that was going on um, Yeah, crazy He didn't Yeah, it was weird because according to him The car was in, in route health and all this sort of stuff But that mm. clearly wasn't the case, unfortunately um, it wasn't after you'd finished with it No, no, <laughs> it really wasn't <laughs> <laughs> Is it Sean, Sean Lynn that bought it? Yeah. yeah God, what a job he's done with it Just yeah. making it perfect And then obviously Desiree had the accident And then a couple of uh, years yeah later yeah. And yeah. that car has had more hits than the Beatles, hasn't it?
2: So, in theory, then, you could become motorsport's chief track tester and drive <laughs> any car that we could find for you. Yeah. yeah that's an idea, isn't it? <laughs>
1: that would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm just looking here, and there's a... On the back wall here, there's an art, all the artwork of the covers, yeah. and the 917K is grabbing my eye.
0: <laughs> we we, we, d- we, d- we don't pay. <laughs> we always like to do a bit of business during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, look, you were, you were last with us in... Um, twenty eleven seems like yesterday actually um and what a what a turmoil you've had since twenty eleven amazing um are you are you feeling good now i mean are you are you almost back sort of on top of everything
1: yeah yeah i mean the my ankle's still a bit average really? um but I did go running for the first time the other day i, I was i've been really cautious with it. And eventually, I was getting, was going to the gym actually, and I thought, you know what, sod it, I'm going running. If it hurts, it hurts. If something happens, I don't care. I want to be able to go mm-hmm. running. And off I went. We did a couple of miles, and it was, uh, it felt good. So apart from that, everything's, yeah, everything's great. Good. So I'm, uh, I'm on pretty, pretty good form.
0: That answers a lot of questions. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you know something that amazes me when you when you have the shunt. I, I, I mean it was obviously a bad shunt and we knew you were hurt but we know in initially we had no idea about ba- how badly you were hurt because i can i think i sent you a text than that night or the next day or something and you replied and it, the reply was perfectly lucid and sort of said yeah yeah that was a bad one wasn't it whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> but then sort of you know a week 10 days a fortnight later i'm hearing from robert robin miller and and so on boy you know this this is much more serious than we thought I mean, I just sort of wondered: was it more serious than you initially
1: thought? Um, I knew the issues. I actually remember that. I remember texting you. And I've got pictures of me sitting in in the bed in the hospital with my my two dogs, (laughs) actually, in the the hospital room. Um, And I was quite okay to start with. But then what happened was, actually quite a while later, my brain, I guess, started to swell up. And that's when it got a bit. Interesting, and that uh, that w- kind of coincided with a visit to Doctor Ovi um, and his sort of team there. And they—that's when they—that's when they put the you know the brakes on and, and said, "No, this isn't going to happen." But I was already worried about my back because I'd broken it before; it was held together with some rods. I'd broken it again in two places, plus some other damage. Um, the ankle was going to be a problem. Um, essentially, what happened with the ankle? Th- there's a design fault with the car. They attached the master cylinders to the crash structure and not the bulkhead. Um, and when the crash structure did what it's supposed to do, the master cylinders pushed everything back into my leg and shortened it up by a good bit. So the the, the surgeon in Indy did a just a mega job. He really did, um, Doctor Weber, absolute artist. So um, I was lucky with that. But yeah, I was I was concerned from a very early stage that this was going to be a, b- a problem. But then. I thought it was going to be the back, but it turned out it was the it was the the head and the and the concussions and it's. It's the, p- the chance of having another serious concussion and apparently the more you have the less it force it takes to cause a bigger problem and so on and so forth.
4: Well, that's what happened to Neil Bonnet.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what happened to Neil
4: Bonnet.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Let's cheer, let's cheer yeah, it up. A bit. Sh- <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'd like to ask the, the, the question comes from Paul King. I love this one. It says, um, Is it true that you've had the tiles in your bathroom made in the exact same shade of blue as Jim Clark's helmet?
1: Um, <laughs> it's not my bathroom.
0: Hello. Um, whose bathroom is it then?
1: <laughs> no, it's actually not, not my bathroom at all anymore because I, I sold the house. Ah, um, but um, Ashley and I were restoring an old silly big house in scotland a long time ago and um i took a lot of interest in the bathroom of this one room because it was going to be the jim clark room and the garages and so i went round the the tile shops and found the exact blue of uh of jim's helmet and so we got the, the bathroom done in that and there was and then as a surprise i actually got a checkered flag actually an artist to draw a checkered flag on the wall and everything in there it was really that was cool but that became the room that all the, the Jim Clark stuff ended up in and um was a bedroom to start with but by the end of it there was no space for a bed so <laughs> <laughs> that was the end of that but no that that's that's now gone now. sorry that was my phone that's now um I sold that, that the house but okay. the next house I get I'm going to do the same thing
0: it's a, g- a great it's a great a great story and thanks Paul for the question um it's another Paul, can it be? It is another Paul. This is Paul Gibson. He wants, to kn- he wants to hear about the story behind the possible F1 test deal that you had with McLaren in 1997 and the Jaguar test deal in 2000. And n- n- <laughs> Nigel's laughing. You're supposed to be cheering <laughs> him up. <I'm laughs> just laughing because he's, he's, he's <laughs> hoping
4: you're going to tell the absolute truth. W- which one? <laughs> the whole story. The, <laughs> the whole McLaren story. or Jag? Uh, uh,
0: well, well McLaren uh, to start with
1: right McLaren <laughs> you know this you know the whole story <laughs> with that one um the McLaren deal came about um it's quite a long story actually i had been obviously driving for Paul Stewart racing with mm. Jan as a teammate and that Yan had just absolutely blitzed the whole thing and McLaren had signed him as a test driver and I, I keep I keep a lot of things I keep all the little things that eventually I think that might be interesting and if there was a letter I've got from Ron saying we signed Jan. Um, you know, we really thought he was exceptional. Blah blah blah. Sorry, we didn't sign you. I thought, okay, appreciate the letter. Um, then, when I got involved with Mercedes, um, and I'd been one young driver of the year, the McLaren Auto Sport Young Driver, mm. there was a test t- as part of the prize of that. Well, because I was now a Mercedes driver, it turned into a pretty serious test, and not sort of a five lap run around Silverstone. So I did the test, and it, it went quite well apparently Um, I was end of 95 so then in 90, start of 97 um, obviously DTM had finished and Paul Morgan and Norbert and Carl Hogan all got together and got this deal done for me to go to America Paul Morgan was really the driving force on that one Mm. Um, and I got this call saying could you come to McLaren Um, Ron and Norbert want to see you so I came back from America, sat down with, with, with the two of them and, and it was laid out, this long-term deal was laid out where I would race in America in the weekends, come back and drive the McLaren during the week at various tests, because they were testing pretty much Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday most weeks, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. I was going to start doing that. I th- I've got the contract at home somewhere, it's massive. Um, I'm trying to think here what happened with the... But it was, yeah, it was that was the, the, the basis of it. And I think they were going to sponsor, or you West were going to sponsor the IndyCar or something. There was some way they were going to help fund the whole Hogan thing.
0: Sounds like a punishing schedule.
1: It was going to be crazy. And they, they sent David Brown over. Mm. And David had kind of fallen out of favour, I think, at McLaren, because he told them the car was a load of crap. and um, <laughs> David became, came over a couple of tests as my babysitter. No, Carl Hogan didn't appreciate that Ron had sent somebody over. And I'm thinking, this guy's one of the best race engineers in the world. Maybe we should, you know, listen to him. But that didn't happen. Um, (laughs) But anyway, I didn't... The problem with the McLaren deal was they could have got rid of me at any point. And I was tied up for a long, long time. And, you know, when I sometimes look back, that was a crossroads, I think. And I could have taken that deal, and who knows what would have happened. They had Mika and David, and they had them for a long time afterwards. So I chose not to take... Mm. to Not to do that much to the... I think surprise and annoyance of of Ron and certainly Norbert Robert and I took a long time to kind of recover from that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was that, and one of the, the other reasons, you know, Alan had been a McLaren test driver, and I never really felt Alan got a fair, yeah, a fair uh, deal there at McLaren, and I wasn't sure I wanted to put myself in that position.
0: Um. Actually, as things turned out, it was a good decision you made, wasn't it?
1: I think it was. Don't you mm-hmm. think? I think about who the hell knows what would have happened. And well, I mean, but I trust me. I, I'm very happy with what I ended up surely. getting to do. <laughs> and, sure. and if I'd have made that choice, I might not have. Um, yeah. not g- got to do any of that stuff. Absolutely. Well, there'd been
2: no no race chance there because Micker and David, you know, they stayed healthy. They were racing together for a long time, so there was no. It's not like there was suddenly a, an opening
1: that, that would have come up. No, there wasn't. And I think Nick Heidfeld ended up taking taking that position and. And that went nowhere for him. Yeah never, yeah, never got to race a McLaren. No, so it, it's, yeah. It was, a, when I look back on it, I think, bloody hell, that was a fairly ballsy move. But I, I just... Well, Ron was stunned when you said no, wasn't he? I, if I remember rightly, I think he was, yeah. I don't think I've spoken to Ron since then, actually. <laughs> um,
3: You've not missed much.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the
3: variety
2: of your life in America that you lived since then um, must be make, it, make it worthwhile. All the things you did, the cars you drove, the people you met, places you went to. Oh yeah. And those champ cars of that era as well, I mean.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I got to drive some amazing cars, I mean, not, not only the current stuff, whether it was the champ cars, the, the later Indy cars, um, I think the champ cars were the highlight because they were the, the big horsepower cars. Um, the later stuff, people say, oh, they were easy to drive. They were never easy to drive because they had less horsepower. You just set them up more aggressively. You would go around Indianapolis, and with the big heavy, with the big horsepower cars, you couldn't set them up too l- oversteery With the uh, the 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 lower horsepower cars, what were originally the, I hate saying even these letters, but the IRL cars, you just set them up so oversteer they were just constantly in yaw and you couldn't drive the other cars like that. Um you know the other cars if they, if they wog- wiggled once and you caught it great if they wiggled <laughs> twice you knew you yeah. were going to hit the wall. <coughs> <laughs> um but yeah I got to do sports cars, I got to, I, feel I was thinking about this a while back. I got to drive and l- race a lot of different cool cars from you know saloon cars with the DTM, sports cars, yeah, you know, the indie cars. Um and I might not have been able to do that had I Done the, the that deal or the or Jackie. the Jag deal? Yeah, what I mean, Jaguar probably Christ. was <laughs> one to miss. Yeah. Maybe <coughs> the Jag thing was was bizarre, and it, it came from a conversation between Jackie, Julian, Jacoby, and myself. And it was something along the lines of you know, you know, I'd like to have a wee go, <laughs> if I'm paraphrasing here. But and Jackie said, I'll see what I can do. So I went to, to Dearborn to Ford. I sat with the guys there and it got quite complicated pretty quickly and it wasn't a case of okay go and have a test in our car see if you like it it was right here's a contract Mm. and if if it goes well we've already got the contract in the in the briefcase so to speak if it doesn't then we'll just we'll we'll give it a miss um and barry green was good enough to release me to do the test but he then said if you don't if you don't end up doing the f1 thing i want a, a deal So uh, that which I was fine with, because I loved racing there, so I signed a deal there as well. And I ended up I would do. I remember going to Silverstone. I went over. I went over in Concord to do a seat fit. They were clearly spending the money in the wrong ways. (laughs) 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 Old Jag. Um, It still amazes me that Red Bulls came out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Or that Stuart Grand Prix became that. Yeah. Um, so I go over to the seat, come back, and when I went over there, it wasn't a very good atmosphere straight away. I could tell I wasn't exactly wanted, I would say. Um, and the mechanics were telling me what the engineers were doing wrong with the cars, and it was kind of one of those things. Anyway, I came back to the, the test. Um, I would do these sort of press gatherings my lawyer at the time, Peter Goodman, had to sit next to me, tell me what questions <laughs> <laughs> I could answer. <laughs> I'm thinking, <laughs> this is too bloody complicated, I just want yeah. to drive the car. So, I I get in the car and I was, from my side, I, I was struggling because I'd had that accident at Homestead where I'd broken my pelvis, I'd given myself a proper knock on the head, which I really think took me two years to get over th- that concussion. And so I was not in good form anyway. I had a... a uh, a ruptured disc in my neck, which is the first time in a Formula One car in quite a while, is not the best thing, maybe. So I was not in the best of form anyway. Went out first day, not too bad. Come in the next morning, I've got a different car already because I think one of them suspension broke and it crashed and the straight, blah, blah, blah. And who the hell knows what spec it was, whatever, but I was way off the pace. And, you know, maybe put some of that down to. If you, were, if I was doing long runs. I'd put some of it down to my, you know, my my physical fitness, my concussion or whatever. But I was still back in America. But a month later, I broke the lap record at Road America in qualifying. So I was still able to make a car go quick over one lap. But I don't know why. I don't know what spec the car was. I don't know why it was sort of the test happened the way it did. But it was clear that I was not wanted and uh, did you feel
4: that from the, the outset that, 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 that everything was in place for it not to work out
1: yeah, yeah yeah and i was i was pretty i was pretty clear that i didn't want to be part of it but it put i think that test put paid to any chance i had of ever doing anything in formula 1 ever again because it was so far off and as i say you know i was still even with the the f- the, f- the mental and the physical stuff going on from that accident i was still able to put you know fling a car around for one lap um but pfft, so
0: sounds depressing actually it was, it was
4: absolutely not a happy ship jesus no, you
1: know long before you went you no know. no absolutely and bobby rahal when he went there he, yeah. he then came out and said oh there was, there was some weird stuff going on at that test and stuff and um so i remember i was in new york i was driving getting I was getting driven along somewhere, and the phone rang, and it was Neil Ressler saying, um, "We've decided we're not going to do it." And I said, "Oh, thank God," because <laughs> I really don't want to do it either. And um, and that was very much the end of, of of that. So that was the that was the Jag deal.
2: Bobby's the next lunch with in the magazine, actually. So he hasn't um, Simon hasn't filed a copy yet. I'm interested to see what his take is now, all these years later, on the whole Jaguar thing, and you know, what he can say <laughs> about it. Really, hopefully,
1: it's as good as lunch with AJ not <laughs> yeah. yeah. oh, I love AJ. Yeah. This when the Mario Andretti thing, when Simon said, oh, I had, had yeah. burgers too with Andretti. Yeah. Even before I'd read the next line, I thought, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Simon's not going to get Texas alive. <laughs> but the, you know, the curious thing is, when you speak
4: to either of them, they can't actually, tr- the, the problem they have, they can't trace it back to any one thing. It's just a kind of general well we you know we just don't get on yeah. well well, why don't you well uh, but you never get to actually get a firm hmm. of, can you do, do you know of anything no no
1: you were in that you I mean you went to that dinner last year yeah. um with and it's the same with with bobby Unser and and mario to a degree it's the same with any of those guys from that era mm. that they all i think the competition was so intense mm. And yeah. Parnelli, same, Parnelli same, same thing, yeah. To be top
0: dog, I think,
1: yeah. They still hold on to, I don't know if they're grudges, but they've still got that competitive mm. element with each mm. other. I remember Gurney sat at a dinner that Jim Hall, the RRDC do that dinner at Long Beach everywhere, that Bobby Rahal does a great job with. And Jim Hall was sort of giving a, some, he was the, the honoree one year, and he was telling a story and Gurney waves me over and he says, didn't happen that way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? He's so, like, yeah, no, it was that wasn't no. <laughs> That's his version of the truth.
3: <laughs> when you were list- listing some of the the great stuff you've done in the states, you omitted to mention the word NASCAR. Do you do you have any regrets about your flirtation with that?
1: I mean, You said great stuff. That wasn't yeah, dumb. no,
3: no. The, the stuff you listed was great, but you didn't mention NASCAR. I just wanted any uh, any, regrets, any regrets at all. no,
1: no, no regrets. I mean. I've been told, oh, well, you could have won another 500 or another championship. And the way I look at it, in 2008, you probably weren't going to beat Scott Dixon anyway. If I was an IndyCar, i probably, you know, <laughs> Dixon was on a charge that year. And mm. ultimately, I think would have beaten anybody to that championship and the 500. Um, n- no, because I learned a hell of a lot at NASCAR. You know, there's nothing like getting going from winning the championship in IndyCar in the 500 to just getting kicked in the, the guts every weekend and not having a clue what you're doing and just having to sort of dig unbelievably deeply to mm. to try and finish in the top 25 in a race and so I, I really I, I learned a lot and it allowed me the way it worked out I took a year out essentially and got to get into the target team I probably that would not have happened had I stayed in IndyCar Um, It was a weird time But you know Eventually I'd sort of I did some half decent performances I think in the Nationwide car um, Which I got a hell of a lot of satisfaction out of But um, Yeah I wouldn't be rushing Even if I was fit I I wouldn't do that again It was just so different And to try and It would be like somebody who's never like Jimmy Johnson saying Right I'm going to go race um, single seaters I'm going to F1 (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not having not driven, mm. and that's kind of what I tried to do, and it was probably well advised. And that would have been trying to win races in a, Amarusha really, because at that <laughs> point the Canese cars were, were not very good. Um, Where was
4: it? I remember you telling me, at the at the time, it was or it was just after you dropped, or you just got out of NASCAR and you were relieved. But you were just talking about, you know, you have no idea what these things are like, and there was su- there was. I can't remember, it was, I could have been Alcada, I don't think it was, can't have been Alcada. Somewhere, anyway, you'd been testing, you had tested a sports car, and there was a particular corner that was just about flat, and it was,
1: was it second gear in the in the car? You're absolutely car? right, great where, memory. Where, 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 where was it? It was Road Atlanta. It was, oh okay. And I'd gone there to test, not even the cup car, the nationwide car. We'd run round, run round all day, and the first corner was brake, not hard, but, you know, Fairly gentle brake, down two gears, up the hill. I'll never forget that test because at the end of the day, he pulled out a car and goes, now try this one. And it was a second and a half quicker than the other car because the body was a little different. I was like, oh, okay. But anyway, I went there. Would have been three months later with Duncan Dayton mm. asked me to to come and drive with uh, Scott Sharp and, and David Brabham. And it was flat in sixth gear in the qualifying lap. <laughs> Absolutely on the boards. <laughs> a culture shock after driving the old, uh, old NASCAR for a year I'll tell you <laughs> yeah
0: okay we must take some more questions from our loyal readers and listeners and this one comes from Glenn Alcock and he wants to know Dario if you could have driven in any era what would it be and what type of racing would you have enjoyed the most so you could pick from the beginning of time
1: I think the 30s would have been pretty interesting um, sure would. I'm not sure I would have wanted to drive for the guy that was paying the bills. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but
0: but you fancy an auto union with a cloth helmet.
1: <laughs> I was thinking more of the front engine stuff with Mercedes, <laughs> but still, ultimately, yeah. yeah. I w- no, I'd, I'd love to have had a go. The 60s. Yeah. You know that I've. Funny enough, I just got all a bunch of motorsports from 61 through to 89. I started and read the whole thing from 65 already, was the first year I picked. I would have loved to have raced in the 60s, but I'm not sure I would have survived, to be honest. Well, plenty didn't. No, uh, yeah, uh, no. What,
0: what, what is it? Th- I mean, uh, what is the appeal of it? Because so many people do talk about that era, you know, uh, about it the quality of the racing the the atmosphere everything but there's something about it what is it, it made, the cars were very pretty weren't they nice looking cars i
1: think the cars were yeah they were very pretty I and mean when you read the the magazine and you, it was a different time you know the, the cars were getting the car to the end of the race was a major yeah, achievement yeah. Um, the racing probably wasn't that great it was more about you weren't a lot of times you weren't racing the other guy you were racing the track and the car yeah 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 you know, keeping the car together. Um, yeah. It would have just, I think, maybe it's a romantic thing, but d- just to go back and and to mm. to experience that, I think would be would would have been wonderful. Um, to drive all those different cars on a weekend. And um, yeah,
0: that was th- that was a big thing, wasn't it? So like seeing Jimmy Clark in a in a Cortina and in a Grand Prix car and possibly even in a sports car at the same. Yeah. I mean, imagine you know that'd be like seeing Alonso. Driving three races on a on a weekend when you went to a Grand Prix. Well,
4: no, absolutely, and I, I can remember days like that, yeah. with Jimmy. You know, yeah. I can remember. Sure. I can remember Jimmy doing a national meeting at Alton Park. Is that right? Yeah, in 1964, um, and he was reigning world champion. It wasn't. I mean, it was just a national meeting. Mm. It was in, I think it was in April. It was just before I went back to school, anyway. Okay. Well, I was there, <laughs> and Jimmy should have driven given the Lotus 30 it's, uh, its debut and it wasn't ready and there was a guy called George Pitt at the time who raced a Lotus still racing a Lotus 19 and he said to Jimmy do you want to what do you want to and Jimmy said yeah okay you're kidding no and Jimmy drove the Lotus 19 of course won the race <laughs> <laughs> and he drove in an a LAN in another race that oh day yeah. and the Cortina fantastic and that was a, a national meeting at Alton Park in April and he was world champion at the time.
3: Ah, Darry, yeah. you, you, know, you, you get the sports heritage, you understand it, you're passionate about, about it. When you've been talking to your contemporary racers, do you, have you found many others who've got the same kind of interest in history? If you just start discussing Lotus 38, they look at you blankly? Um, yeah, there's not,
1: I think maybe, a, a, there's not that many. Marino's Mer, the same. I mean, he's just as, he's just as bad as me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think through the grid. Um, I think Marco's getting more into it. I think Marco's getting more into his his Nono's legacy, his, to Mario's legacy, and looking into that. And he's think he's getting a bit more excited about that whole hmm. that whole thing, um, which is is great. And um,
0: yeah, I, I'm not I'm not
1: sure. I mean, James Hinchcliffe's a massive Greg Moore fan, which I think is great, and he's you know he really. Is, is sort of excited by that. Um,
0: they, need, they need to come to Goodwood and one see what it's all about.
2: One that? of the interesting things I find talking to racing drivers is a lot of lot of the guys aren't interested in road cars at all. You know, it's just that all they're focused on is the racing side, and road cars don't really mean, mean much to them. You're not the same, are you? you? You're 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 interested in the road stuff as well.
1: Yeah, I love I love road cars. Actually, Graham Rahal, I think, has got quite a good a good sense of the history of the sport. Um, yeah, I love road cars. I I I love cars of any any description (laughs) to be quite honest and um, yeah I I love all different kinds of road cars and I think unfortunately for Marino his son Luca is is taking over that same thing he is anything he's fascinated by anything that's got an engine motorbikes cars Mm. um, helicopters (laughs) Um, (laughs) so
0: yeah Uh, do you still ride bikes
1: motorbikes yeah Um, I've got I've got nothing sort of 19. Quick! Right. Um, I've still got an MV Gusta in kit form from wow. the accident, <laughs> but I've got some some big old cruisers. I'm thinking about uh, I don't know something for London, maybe like a, a yeah a Triumph Scrambler that I can customise or a Ducati or something. I'm, I'm sort yeah, of yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking about that just now. And at this point, my mother and my insurance broker have just fallen over if they're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Actually,
0: uh, that answers that answers um, one of our questions. And n- another one um, is, you've gone back to live in Scotland. I have. Um, why?
1: Because I love it, and it's okay. home. That's um, a good answer. Yeah, it's for fourteen years. I think I lived in the states, maybe longer. Yeah and i had the most wonderful time i lived in the most wonderful place just like in nashville was stunning where i lived and had a great time but i was always homesick
0: really
1: yep. Were you? yeah yeah right always always homesick really yeah really i never knew that and up until about 2007 i didn't even have any cars over there or anything i didn't i didn't sort of and then i started to sort of get one or two cars over there that i could play around with and mm. but I'd, I'd kept a big chunk of my life in scotland and um yeah, so the fact that I can now come home is, is fantastic. I'm spending as much time in America, uh, no, not quite as much time, but I'm I'm f- on a, a planes a lot. Yeah. I'm travelling a lot now, back to the IndyCar races, the Formula E stuff and, and various other stuff that yeah. I've got going on. Um, you know, stuff I'm doing with Honda, that kind of stuff. So I'm flying back and forwards a lot, but yeah. really enjoying being back in, uh, in Scotland and down here in London and being able to go and do road trips in Europe and stuff like that. Yeah.
4: How many how many races will you do go to with Ganassi this year do you think?
1: Um we're we're talking about that right now. Um at least 10. Oh at least okay. 10, maybe maybe 16. We're we're just we're we're sort of trying to figure that out just now.
2: Are there any um adventures you got in mind that you want to do, you know, any trips or things you always fancy having to go
1: at? We talked about that, didn't we? We talked about going doing down to um down to Sicily. And I still fancy doing that. Um, I want to g- get in into the Alps and and head east a bit from there as well, see some of the great roads. Mm. But the Sicily thing, you know, I read the BRDC did a book. Um, I think it was when Jenks died. It was a it was a sort of a thing, yeah. of his um, his columns. Yeah. It was the best of his columns, basically, and that really got me in the mood to go and do all these crazy road trips. And um, now having you know, these motorsport magazines to read o- over however many years, it sort of really getting me in the mood again to, to go and, and do that.
4: Jenks drove to the Targa in, in 1965, I think. In, in the Lotus. A, in <laughs> an Alain. Can you believe <laughs> I just read that. Talk <laughs> about an act of faith. <laughs> I mean, I, I had three Alans and I adored them, but for long journeys, you know, it, it was not a... And he, but he did that, but he then he went in a Europa. The original you remember the original yeah. Renault engine Europa oh my God. with windows that didn't open. Yeah? You Can you imagine that? the heat? Yes. It had Colin Chapman air conditioning, that was all it had. <laughs> 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 he
1: Yeah uh, that trip when he did that in the Lotus was incredible. He talks about all the spares he had in the back, and nobody could believe it actually got there. And what was it the factory said to him? Um, if you get to Sicily, don't worry, we've got the the, the race team mechanics will put the thing back together for you. <laughs>
4: if you get
0: there, yeah. If you get, <laughs> if you see them, Brilliant. I think you've, you've got to repeat this journey, haven't you? You've got to do it. Oh yeah, you got to do it. Okay. The other
1: the other adventure we want to do is um, when Jimmy, when Border Reavers bought the D Type, um, he had to get it to Full Sutton and the truck something happened to the truck so they basically pulled a type off the back of the truck not far from from uh, duns or from turnside and he drove it in the snow to full sutton and I quite fancy recreating that, that you could do it this week the way things are i'm gonna <laughs> say i i'm not sure we'd do it in the snow <laughs> this time I think, I think the owner might be a little perturbed but uh <coughs> that'd um, be fun
0: well we're on the subject of um the scots uh, Tony Gerin wants to points out actually that you Mcnish Coulthard all retired. Uh, who's coming from Scotland in the future?
1: Yeah, that was a uh, it was a tough one. That wasn't it. I mean, obviously DC had had retired mm. Alan um, af- just right after me. That yeah. came as a bit of a shock to me. I must admit.
0: Really, you thought he you thought he'd keep going for a bit?
1: Yeah, he seemed to still have the the fire, which just shows how good he is at hiding it. You know, that's he's a Perhaps bugger he for that.
2: Because I was on a, I did a road trip with him after the Austin sports car race, and he'd won the race, and he was clearly on the way to the championship. And the, the the retirement thing in our on our trip was in the air, and I was like, I'll ask him about it once we we get warmed up and see. You. And he was very cagey about it. And he said afterwards that that weekend was the time when it started to really um, be something he's seriously thinking about. Uh, up until then, he hadn't.
1: I don't think I did him any favors with my little exhibition no, in you, Houston. You, I you think your it, name did come up. <laughs> yeah. I think it got him thinking.
0: <laughs> um, what, what was the question? Well, no, well, well Tony Garin. Uh, oh, yeah. is saying who's coming? Well, from yeah, who's coming from Scotland? Are we? Because you know, looking back over the years, we've all we've had great Scots. Haven't we?
1: Well, I think David Leslie, father and son, should get a lot of that credit. Yeah, because of they, you know, we had. Obviously, Jim Jackie, um yeah, Jerry Burrell, and then it was, there was you know there were some guys that were fairly good, and then David Leslie came along with yep. a lot of talent and no money, yeah, and then Bert Mcnish, Duncan Coulthard, my dad, they were sort of they were the guys that really were t- taking the big risks yeah, to yep. to to help their their their, their sons, and yep. um, Alan came along in eighty seven with into cars. I mean yep. obviously started carts a lot earlier than yep. but Alan then David came along two years later, I came along two years later after that. Um you know Ryan came along DL um there's a bunch of the guys, Andrew Kirkordi, um, Marino came along um yep. and then more recently Paul um the the rest are clearly you know he did uh, if ever there's proof that talent doesn't count for that yeah, <laughs> much in yeah, F one, he's a good example, as is John Eric Verne actually. It's yeah. not it's not it's not just limited to, to British drivers. Um no, sure. you know, as I said... And so right now, um you know, Ryan's doing a good job in America. Um Marino when he can get in a car is doing a great job, obviously, you know, he won Sebring last year. Yeah. Um Paul is, is is now back in DTM and hopefully with the, the Mercedes guys have got their stuff together this year and they can make a run at the championship. But um there's a bunch of enthusiasts in Scotland who are really keen to to keep
0: keep the tradition,
1: keep the factory going, keep the the yeah, young good. drivers coming up. Good. Um, good, and so we're we're working quite hard on that just now. Obviously, we've got Kieran Haggerty, who Simon saw at the festival, and you know does a great job. Um, he's at the very early stages, but hopefully, we can keep we can help him get up the ladder. Um, it's we were lucky; we had obviously Jackie and the. And mm. the staircase of talent, and yeah, you yeah. know, with posture racing, um, and that was for me. That was a lifeline. Um, it's harder now, isn't it, to come up? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was pretty bloody hard then. <laughs> I must admit, when you when you've got no money, it's always hard. Yeah.
2: Um, but, it's but at least there were opportunities in when you were coming up. I know it, it wasn't. I'm not saying it was easy. Of course, it wasn't. But there seemed to be f- so few. Opportunities certainly in this country, and it's you know, the single seater ladder so fragmented. And you know, you got racing steps are doing great things. Um, you know, Red Bull have put a lot in over the years, but there's that's about it,
1: really. There's not, there's not many. I'm trying to think, yeah, where where you can go if you don't have a, a, a you know, a budget. And I'm you know, I'm coming up a blank here, and go I said and that. play tennis, I suppose. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, actually, Andy was winning when I when I left to come here, he's doing <laughs> a hell of a good job. Um, you're right what do you I doing mean, I mean
3: then just looking at the numbers I mean as we stand at the moment for 2015 there are 18 Formula 1 cars on the grid well just below that you've got 22 23 Formula Renault 3.5 cars you've got 26 GP2 cars you've got 27 GP3 cars you can have 40 45 FIA F3 cars I mean there's an awful lot of people there chasing I mean there's only, only 1 or 2% of them who've got any chance at all and you know, Red Bull owns 4 of the F1 cars yeah. Yeah, the, the, numerically the chances are stacked against everybody pretty much
1: yeah, I agree with you. I mean, obviously, if you if you decide, as I did back in the day, that okay, IndyCar is the way to go, that opens up a bit more, um, or you can go the sports car route, and that opens up a wee bit more too. But ultimately, there's there's not the turnover of drivers at the top end that there used to be either, no, because it's,
3: well, it's it's safer and careers well. last longer and Touch wood, yeah, it's yeah.
1: It's, it is it's it's not you don't get guys like Jackie retiring at the absolute top of their game. At 30, thirty-one, thirty-three was he thirty-three? He did that doesn't happen. So there's a there's a, a traffic jam at the top, and um, I don't know how to fix it. And at, at even before that traffic jam, to find the money to fund um, is is very very difficult. So I'm glad I'm I'm glad and I'm lucky. I think and fortunate if that's the word that I was involved in the period that I was.
0: Got a question from Croatia. Comes from Davos Stimak and he wants to know Do you think that the new Aero uh, packages that are being developed for IndyCar will attract any of the F1 design guys to go over and tackle that?
1: I kept asking Adrian Newey every time I see him at Goodwood <laughs> or at some other thing, like, come on, Adrian, look, <laughs> just design a body kit, come on. Come on, <laughs> it'll be fun. Um, he never took me up on it. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I don't think there's the, the money there because they've got to sell them for a certain amount. Yeah. Um it's I think it's quite an open um set of rules. I think it's go- I don't know what they look like. I haven't I haven't no. seen either. Um well we certainly wouldn't have seen the Honda one and and I haven't been testing with the team when the when the, the the Chevy guys have been running it, but um we need to be careful there with those body kits that you know they don't sort of start um taking backward steps yeah. with you know with with sort of taking downforce away again or whatever because there was a reason for doing them yeah. and that was to increase performance yeah. and so l- let's let that yeah. increase performance run I think as well you know yeah. and I think that there is a
4: need also for, for the cars to look different and that was what I thought at Indy last year it's the you know to have alright paint schemes you know make make have an, an effect on yeah. what, you know what you're seeing but fundamentally you're looking at 33 yeah yeah Identical yeah, yeah. cars, so I, I mean, from that point of view, I think it's it's n- it's needed.
1: Totally agree yeah. with you, Nigel. The only problem we were talking about this the other day: if you te- took the F1 grid and painted them all white,
4: oh, same you thing. Same know. thing.
1: Definitely yeah. wouldn't know. Would I, you? I think they're, you know, with all the wind tunnels and the CFD now and everything, they're getting so close yeah. to the you know that perfect point that they might end up just looking the same, and, and um, but hopefully it allow them to run quicker. There's certainly, m- I would imagine, there's going to be a lot more downforce for some of the tracks. Um, hopefully they'll run quicker at Indianapolis. Mm. And uh, i tell you one thing, though. I think it's going to be a lot f- more physical for the, w- the drivers because the G-forces are going to be even bigger. They're already mm. big. And there's no power steering in those cars, and they're heavy. Uh, I spoke to Daniel Abt after he tested at Barber, mm. and he'd driven, you know, a couple of years in GP2. And he... <laughs> He <laughs> was just blown away by the the physical effort of driving that thing. And, and that GP
3: GP two cars aren't. I mean, they're not. You know, they're they're physical. I mean, they've got no power assisted steering or anything. I mean, they're big brutes of cars as well.
1: Yeah, and he said mm, that wasn't even close to the Indy car. Why is it just on
4: cost grounds that it's not allowed? Or I mean, why why wouldn't it be otherwise? I mean, it I don't know. We've
1: had this discussion for ten years plus. You know, drivers are the steering is so heavy. The drivers are injuring themselves. And um, just with the f- the, f- the force, and w- especially as the, when the the force is in a, in a dip or a compression or something, and yeah, there's been nothing done about it. So I don't know if if it's costed a doubtful. It's not that expensive to put a set of uh, you know put a power steering system in a car. Maybe it just can't be put in the car. We asked that it would be designed into this latest, Delara, and and it wasn't.
0: Actually, Scott um, Scott Cleary uh, has a question. It's very simple, straightforward. He says, "What would you do?" To get IndyCar back to its absolute best. If, I mean if you were in charge right now, what would you do?
1: That is such a difficult question because <laughs> there's always the unintended consequences of, of your of your actions. So it's a gut feeling though that It's a gut feeling. Um the on track product's great. Um I would definitely give the cars more horsepower again. More speed, yeah. More speed. The downside with that, though, is as soon as you start giving them more horsepower, it shortens up the straights, and you're not going to get as much overtaking because you're on the st- street for less time. You've got less time to set up a pass. Yeah. Uh, well, pa- people like Parnelli and uh, and and Bobby
4: Unser and so on are always saying, yeah, they should definitely do that more horsepower, but they should also take downforce away. Which is do the so because Parnelli was saying last year the thing it, it was it was at its best when they were bullet quick in a straight line. And you simply could not think about, you know, taking the turns flat. So, so there, w- there had to be a lift. And they said, that way, you know, that way you got overtaking. Yeah. And it was a matter of who, who lifted for how long.
0: There's also safety consideration here, isn't there?
1: No, th- I think nowadays there's always safety consideration, isn't there? That's always big, a big part of it, whereas yeah. before there d- wasn't so much, I would say. M- before been decades before. Yeah. Um, yeah, the downforce thing is, uh, especially with this new car, we've, we've just talked about the body kits, which is going the opposite way, but I think come Indy, come they'll hopefully they'll be able to make these things so slippery that they, they'll be right on the edge again. Um, and yeah, I do agree, take some downforce away. We're d- but then you're talking Indianapolis. What about the road courses and the, the short ovals? Yeah. Taking downforce away is not the answer there, I would say, because I drove the, the Champ car. With the speedway wings on those, I think it was two thousand and one and two, mm. and because they had limited downforce, if you were leading, you had clear air, mm. great. As soon as you got behind, you could be running—I mean, literally a second a lap quicker around a short oval—and mm. you get behind the guy, and you just couldn't—you couldn't get close because your car was so reliant on mm. any fraction of downforce. So you have to be careful of that. I think with the downforce, those guys had zero downforce. Then you. Any car in the last sort of 20, 30 years has had, you know, some. So I don't know how far back, when you say take all the downforce away, you'd have to take everything away to to do that. Um, One thing I don't, the fans love it. As a driver, I I didn't like about this new car at, at, at Indianapolis. It provides great racing. But if you're able to run 227 miles an hour and the guy your racing can run only 225 at the front he just can sit behind you the car creates such a hole in the air that you cannot get away you just no matter how quickly you run you just can't there's no there's no payoff for for being the quickest you're setting yourself up for that last that last lap laps of the of the race
0: dario whenever we whenever we uh, invite people to send in questions somebody always mentions Juan Pablo Montoya. I don't know why, but they do. Now, this is very good news for Nigel Roebuck, because Nigel is a huge fan of Juan Pablo. Anyway, Chris B. wants to know, um, what, do you th- what did you think of Montoya's forays in America? I mean, bear in mind, okay, you know, he, he had a pretty good time in Formula One.
1: Um... <laughs> I mean, I go back years, 20 years plus with Monty, you know, he drove my Vauxhall Lotus car. Did fact, he? he crashed it when the brake pedal fell off. The li- brake pedal literally fell off the car and he had a huge accident and I thought he'd crashed it and had a little word with him. Um, we were teammates in the DTM for a race when we smashed yeah. doors for a lap at Silverstone. Um, he showed up in America and, you know, he was mighty. He really was. He was you know, yeah. okay, he was in the b- the best team at the time and everything, but he was mighty. Yeah. and he went away to the to F one and I almost there was, being super critical. There was a there was some unfilled for there was a lot of unfilled potential there. He he was that good and went back to America, did the NASCAR thing, and that was just just never the cars. As I said, when I drove them, the cars were never that good. And when the he, he was the, the cars were never. As good as it needed to be, I don't think Monty put the work in. Yeah. I don't think he had the experience yeah. to know what to do either. So that was a. Ultimately, that was a very uh, for for him and for Chip was just a, it was a, a a letdown.
4: You see, he, but he kept insisting. I used to say to him, "This cannot. For someone with your mentality, this cannot be satisfying." And he was, "No, no, I love it.
1: I love it. Nascar, I think it's great." Like, I thought, I, I really struggling to believe you. I, re- I mean, I read that when you were ask him that question, yeah. and he would say, then we've d- discussed it too, Nigel. And I, d- I would think, it can't be. And I was part of that team for a while. And I tell you, it wasn't bloody fun for me. No. And you know, was it the fact he could do what he liked outside the car? You know, he could go and he didn't have to train, and mm. he spent spend time flying his airplanes or riding his bikes, or whatever. I don't know if that was the reason. But when he came back to to IndyCar, Last year, I thought, "All right, okay, here we go. This is going to be interesting." And he was—he was definitely out of shape to start with, and he's still, you know, he's not Scott Dixon, Tony Canan fit, mm. but he's—he's he's as strong as a bull. Mm. He's as stubborn as a bull too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he, at the start, he looked like he was struggling. He mm, really yeah. the early tests. I said to him, "It was like winding him up." I said, "It's the first time I've—I've I've seen you not look like you not look like you didn't know what you were doing." And he got really angry. <laughs> 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 which was the <laughs> which was the idea, but um he quickly came back to looking like the old Montoya. Mm. And as the season went on only became more so. Mm. And in my opinion, he's gonna be one of the guys you're gonna have to go through to win the championship this year. Really? Yeah. And I think he's got his his uh excitement for racing back, like you said, mm. he kept com- saying that he was loving it. I said I was loving it too when I was doing it. Yeah. I think he's got his his passion for racing back.
2: You you can see he's got another 500 in him definitely. Um do you think he's got a championship in him in terms of week in week out?
1: Yes and yes. I think he's got one more championship in him and he's definitely got at least one 500 in him. Um yeah, he he did the the last 75% of the season impressed me a lot. Um and I'm quite I'm quite critical and I was very <laughs> impressed with what he did. I have to say,
3: I I had the privilege of working with him for two or three years as he was coming up the European ladder, and he was great fun. And he's actually one of the most naturally gifted young drivers I've ever worked with, without question. I mean, just... I mean, a complete fruitcake at times, but in a good way. Yeah. In a good way. He never got...
1: There's never been a period, apart from maybe those two years at Ganassi, where he got his experience level his desire and everything lined up at the same point, do you know what I mean? Hmm. I think now my, he might have that, and um, if he does, yeah. I think that that natural talent was always there, but the desire sometimes was maybe not there or, yeah.
3: I remember there was a, uh, the F3000 street race in Helsinki in 97. I mean, he was way quicker than everybody immediately, and it, everyone else kind of gradually got to the kind of level he'd set on, a, on his first or second flying lap. And then in the race, he just went away, 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 and the team were putting out boards, and <laughs> bloody well, slow down, you idiot. And eventually, of course, he stuck it in the wall. And as far as I know, Helmut Marko is still to this day furious about it. No, it was a,
1: somebody doing that in Helsinki. I might have done, oh, yeah, yeah, might done shot that, that two yeah, years yeah. in a row <laughs> in the DTM car. did exactly the same thing. Almost
3: not, probably not while your team was telling you to slow down because you were leading by 35 <laughs> seconds, and you didn't need to go any faster
1: maybe i'd like to come from the back of the grid and done it yeah anyway no the other thing with Monty, he's getting smarter Mm -hmm. he is getting he's he's yeah he's got that experience now and his you watch him in the longer races how his brain works now and you go Mm -hmm. okay Hmm. so yeah he'll be a handful
4: He, he had his problems with ron as well didn't he Oh yeah. <laughs> What's it they
1: say? He, fe- he fell off his tennis racket.
3: <laughs> if they, or or he's playing tennis on a motocross bike. It was yes. one of the two things. Yeah, I there can't was remember something which. going on there. It
1: it wasn't can't imagine
0: there. two more different people actually. But anyway,
1: um, apparently they got on. He was at the Grand Prix in Austin, yeah. and they had a great chat. And so yeah, all I, know, like, I
4: mean but they used to play golf. And but what he could never understand was that when he would played golf, when he was his great, you know, great mate, and then next day in the factory, you know, Ron would just. Walked straight past yeah. him, and he was back to being an employee.
0: All is forgiven, like Fernando and Ron. Good. With
3: with he playing golf on motocross bikes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's take one last question from Anthony Jenkins, and it's uh, Dario. Can you tell him what the biggest differences are between racing in America and racing in Europe? Because I think a lot of people think, well, okay, it's just you go racing, to, whether it's Africa, Australia. What are what are the fundamental differences?
1: It's there's an attitude difference. Um, I don't know to say less bullshit would be too simplified. I think um, you know people see over there the drivers getting on and think oh yeah they're just they're having a good time. The competition level is every bit yeah. at, the, at the IndyCar level is every bit as as, yeah. as tough as in Europe. You've all got the same stuff. You don't have the advantage of having. You know a uh, a Mercedes engine last mm-hmm. year or any of that stuff, so you've gotta find it in other ways, and the competition level's high, but <coughs> the drivers seem to maybe get on a bit better, and maybe that's because of the 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 danger level of the the ovals I don't you reckon yeah, I think that could that that plays a fact in a lot of things that happen I think in America with the way people go racing um but yeah, apart from that, it's, it's racing as, as usual, I would say. A, there's a different feel to it.
0: But there's a different feel, too, to the, the 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 kind of... The teams, the drivers, seem closer to the fans than they do. There doesn't seem to be this kind of we're not really interested in you lot out there feeling.
1: Definitely Am closer. Right? Well, it's an open paddock with IndyCar. It's an open paddock. Makes a big difference. So <laughs> you're, you are there. and um, Yeah. So that... that, that that's As if to come to America as a fan, you definitely get a a much closer uh, view of things, and um, which I think is a huge, huge positive.
4: You know, I can remember the first time I went to Indy. I can remember being absolutely knocked sideways by that, because uh, that was when was that eighty one. But by then, Formula One had become starting to become rarefied, and you know, you couldn't buy a paddock pass or anything like that. It absolutely blew me away that at the Indy five hundred. Which without any question was that and far and away the, the biggest race on earth. Mm. And the fans could you know, could get access. It amazed me.
1: Yeah, it's it's a bit busy on race morning, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. But you know, I've I've really appreciated that last year. You know, doing my job for, for Ganassi and not not being so caught up in it in you know, when I when I raced I was fully focused on what was going on. And so I was rushing from one meeting to another or and everything else was was a distraction and so last year i was able to sort of sit back a bit and spend a bit more time talking to the fans and and you know watch that whole thing especially indie mm. and it's amazing to see that the, the, how close the fans can get to everything and yeah.
3: Yeah. and I, I was struck by that i went to the daytona 24 hours for the first time in 2014 and i Walked onto the grid with my cameras and stuff to take some pictures, but I couldn't actually get my camera up because there are tens of thousands of fans, just ordinary paying punters, on the grid, which is brilliant.
1: Yeah, that, that, the the tone of the start of Daytona, the, the mechanics are always in a pure panic that somebody's <laughs> going to knock <laughs> the wing. Yeah, Same yeah. Yeah, Indy. no absolutely. Yeah, you yeah. know, if you've got yeah. a certain pass at India, you can get on the on the grid there, and it is so busy. Yeah, and I remember sitting, you know, getting ready to get in the car, and the mechanics are all s- stationed on the four corners of the car to keep people away from mm. all the, the sensitive areas somebody knocks a wing you know mm. trust me and
0: god wouldn't you just hate to be the person who did that
1: <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be good yeah
0: <laughs> okay we're running out of time um thank you very much it's great to see you thank you it's and, good to be um here. try and try and do a deal with our editor here because I, I i think you should do some regular stuff in the magazine i mean you all this free time man you keep He's, he's oh just yeah, been telling us he's on aeroplanes <laughs> all year I tell you what, we'll give you an extra ten bucks <laughs> So that you can forget about it. But you'll never get it from McNish No, I'm never getting that money That money's <laughs> never coming back, is it?
4: Actually, last thing, have you driven a roadster? Because uh, if you have, I don't think you've ever
1: No, I haven't yet uh, I mean I'm gonna Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I look forward to I'm definitely What you have to. to say about it after um. it
3: that sounds like a cover story for the October issue to me.
1: Back to back that in the in thirty eight one.
3: Whoa. There you go.
1: You're definitely doing that. <laughs> um I, I believe so. Mm. That'd be cool. Mm.
0: Great. Okay, thanks so much, Dario Franchiti. Great way to start the year, no? First podcast of the year. Well, mm. we have to try and make it as good as this every month, won't we, Ed Foster? <laughs> no pressure Ed. okay uh, thank you very much for joining us everybody it's great to have you with us and thanks for your support um, just to let you know that uh, next month Mark Blundell will be with us yes the-
1: <laughs> oh I'm so glad this isn't television that'll be great I mean the of stuff that Mark is driven yeah? I'm going to send in questions for that do that
0: does he yeah. owe Lots you any g- money?
1: He, Mark, he does not owe me any money. <laughs> I mean, he's, he talk about a varied career. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait for that one. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, no, send any question. That'd be great. The more the merrier. Anyway, Mark Blundell will be here uh, in uh, next month. So you haven't got long to wait, actually, because he's coming in, in a couple of weeks' time. So uh, we look forward to that. And do join us for that, please. Uh, So it's goodbye from us, from Nigel Roebuck, from Simon Aaron, from our editor Damien, from Ed who puts the show together, from Alan who records it, and from Dario Franchitti. Bye bye. See you next time.